0: All right, Alexander. Let's talk about what's happening in the Middle East with uh, the war, with uh, Israel, Hamas, and Gaza, and the delayed ground operation. Uh, Joe Biden, I think, arrived in in uh, Israel today. I think maybe like a couple of hours ago. Um, what uh, what's going on? Putin spoke with Netanyahu as well. And we also had a U.N. resolution from Russia, which was rejected, as expected. As expected, so, uh, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: a, 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 intense diplomatic activity from one side. And the Russians, the Chinese, are now becoming very active in their diplomacy too. Uh, Iran always, uh, also. Um, and um, Biden goes to Israel. Um, not clear what he's coming to do there. Blinken is having what looks to be an increasingly disastrous trip. He went to Jordan and then he went to Egypt. And there's now video circulating in which you see him being absolutely taken to pieces by al-Sisi, who is the Egyptian president. And then he went to Riyadh and uh, MBS kept him waiting for a whole night before he actually... um, Condescended to meet with him. So, anyway, so military build up, a huge military build up now by the United States. Two aircraft carrier groups, large numbers of aircraft, uh, fighter jets, and uh, ground attack aircraft being just deployed to the Middle East. By uh, the United States. F 35 is being sent there, Uh, ground troops also being sent there. A lot of people are now saying this build up by the United States is increasingly looking less like a deterrence mission and more like an operating, you know, setting up the forces necessary to attack someone. (laughs) We just don't know exactly what is being planned and what is being thought through. But what we do know, and we're now seeing to stick with military preparations for the moment, is that the word last week was that Israel was going to launch its ground operation into Gaza on Friday or Saturday. And it still hasn't happened. And there's lots of debate and lots of discussion as to why that is. Now, the initial explanation was because the weather was not particularly good. I don't buy that one. I mean, we're talking about the Mediterranean. It's not, as I said, you know, Ukraine where there's mud and all that. Uh, They can certainly could carry out a military operation in Uh, you know, cooler weather that we get in the eastern Mediterranean. So I don't buy that explanation. There's another explanation, which is doing the rounds, which is that Israel is worried about what Hezbollah, this Shia militia in Lebanon, might do. They've allegedly got 150,000 rockets that they could launch at Israel. They've allegedly got up to 60,000 trained fighters. they got military experience from fighting in the Syrian war. They uh, um, held back the Israeli army in the fighting in 2006. So they're said to be a formidable military force. They're backed by Syria and Iran. It's conceivable that Israel is being deterred by Hezbollah. What I would say is, Hezbollah has always struck me as being more effective in terms of fighting Israel when it is fighting on its own ground and on the defence, as opposed to when it is fighting on the attack. And I suspect that is what the Israelis themselves think about Hezbollah. So I'm not completely convinced that that is the full explanation. Um, There's said to be divisions... Within the Israeli cabinet about the ground operation in Gaza. But I think the overall explanation, the thing that is creating the problems is that the Israeli military are reporting back to the Israeli cabinet. And they're saying that this ground operation in Gaza, that the politicians, that Netanyahu in particular, want to see happen, that it is incredibly difficult and that Israel isn't ready for it, at least not ready for it at the moment. And getting ready for it might be a business of several weeks, perhaps even longer, uh, more time in fact, ...than the politicians in um, Israel can wait for. And that there is some degree of dissension about this. And the latest word is that Biden is coming to... uh, ...or perhaps already is in Israel. The Americans are trying to discuss options with the Israelis. um, And if anything does start, if any ground operation does start... ...it will certainly not happen whilst he is in Israel... And that it will be deferred until after he's gone. So we'll see what happens. Now, I'm just going to quickly say that there's been a number of extraordinary plans which have been floated around. The most um, dramatic one is that um, Israel uh, puts this Gaza under tight siege, stops fuel and food. And water going into Gaza bombs Gaza heavily. Um, The Egyptians are prevailed upon to open the crossing points to allow the entire uh, population of Gaza to flee into Egypt. There's stories that the Israelis have suggested that a big tent city be created for the refugees in the Gaza, in, in the Sinai Desert. And that Qatar, which has been Hamas is big financial backer, pay for all of this. Um, I have to say, this is, to my mind, I mean, first of all, what is being discussed here is displacement of an entire population. The UN has made it quite clear that they would regard that as a war crime, and I think that is the universal consensus amongst legal scholars who... Discuss these things. But put, put all that to one side. It can only be done if Egypt and Qatar and the Ar- other Arab states agree. And Egypt is not agreeing. That's probably the reason for that very difficult conversation between Blinken and al-Sisi that we've just uh, heard, or, seen all those, that film of and all these reports of. And um, beyond that, um, I can't imagine Qatar being prepared to put foot the bill for something like this. So I think if that was the original plan, and that might have been the plan last week, I think it's probably not being implemented. And I think that this is perhaps the reason why the Israelis have had to backtrack and pause and think about what to do, and why we haven't had this offensive happen at the moment. The offensive itself is going to be very difficult, moving into a densely populated area, a densely built-up area. There's all these tunnels and bunkers and all of these things that Hamas is supposed to have created. So it's a difficult military operation for Israel to carry out. There's articles now in the Jerusalem Post and other newspapers, which are basically saying all of this. And I think the fact that Plan A, which might have been the displacement of Gaza's population, and all of that hasn't happened, means that they're now having to look at this Plan B... And the military are reporting back. We're just not ready. This is going to need a lot more thought and a lot more time, if it is even practical at all. So that's probably, that's my guess, as to why we haven't had this military offensive yet into Gaza. And what it is doing in the meantime is that it is opening time and space for negotiations. The Americans are not doing it. In any effective way, but the other side—the Chinese and the Russians—are now very
0: busy. Right. So, uh, why so much U.S. Uh, military hardware? Well, this is
1: this is I of mean,
0: course. Is the... is the U.S. well? Is the U.S. going to go to war with alongside Israel, or is this meant for Iran? Do you think they well, could be planning an attack against Iran? Well, I have to say, the the, the sheer scale
1: of it looks to me like it's directed at Iran. Now, the aircraft carrier groups are located in the eastern Mediterranean, but, you know, aircraft have significant range. They could presumably attack Iran from the eastern Mediterranean. And I, 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 I have to say that's what it looks like to me. Now, the big question is, is this to deter or is this actually to attack and increasing numbers of people are saying that the sheer scale of the forces which are being deployed, and they won't all be there, by the way, uh, uh, before several weeks have passed, but the sheer scale of the forces that have been deployed, the two carrier groups, the ground forces and the um, fighter jets and uh Ground attack aircraft, the F-35s and the Air A-10s, they look like they're intended for some big military operation. It could be against Iran. It could also perhaps, in case there's some kind of um, war involving Hezbollah, be intended to support Hezbollah, uh, an Israeli battle against Hezbollah, or to perhaps deter Hezbollah, or perhaps to cover the Israelis whilst the Israelis are launching their ground offensive in Gaza um, by having the Americans cover, cover them in the north uh, so that they can concentrate all their forces in the south in Gaza whilst the Americans deal with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is almost certainly an extremely difficult nut to crack And, of course, it's withstood numerous attacks by the Israeli Air Force. And I wonder whether even these forces that the United States is deploying would be enough to break Hezbollah. And, of course, the risk the U.S. runs is that they could start to lose aircraft and lose men. And I do wonder how the U.S. public would respond to that.
0: Right. So uh, China and, and Russia... Are they making any headway in in their diplomacy?
1: Well, I think the
0: UN resolution. Yes. Okay. So let be rejected, but the next move, I imagine, is the General Assembly. Yes. Well, I I, I,
1: actually, I think we are we are probably working eventually towards that point, but I don't think we are there yet. What normally happens in these crises is that one side, one of the five permanent net members and typically it is the Russians, starts proposing resolutions. And they, they proposed their first draft resolution yesterday, which called for an unconditional ceasefire, opening of humanitarian aid, release of hostages by Hamas. And for the moment, there isn't the solid support across the entire global community that it would need I think, for the Russians to take to the General Assembly. So Brazil, which historically has had good relations with Israel, for example, abstained in the Security Council. Um, Other countries were um, uncertain. Global South countries, including global South countries that have historically been friendly to the United States, like Gabon, um, they supported the resolution. So you can see that the Russians are making headway. But I think what will now happen is that they've put that resolution, they've given an indication of where they think this conflict should go, they will now bide their time, they will work with their various friends, we'll discuss that in a moment, and then if the fighting continues and if there's a ground operation, then they will propose another resolution, and if that doesn't work, then Again, they might bide their time, but eventually, if they're still blocked at the, general, uh, at the Security Council, they will take it to the general Assembly. So they're gradually, it, they gradually they're gradually methodically building up to that point. That is what the Russians do. And when that happens, when we get the really serious resolution. It won't just be a Russian resolution, it will be one that will be jointly sponsored by the Russians and various other countries, some of which historically have had good relations with the United States, and that will make it extremely difficult for the U.S., to veto that resolution. And that's the point when, as I said, it will be taken to the General Assembly. But you, 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 you have to see this, if you like, as the first move. It's like, you know, you move pawn to King 3. It's the beginning of the chess game at the UN. There will be more moves in future. And the Russians are extremely skilled at this sort of thing. Now, let's look at the Russians, what they've been doing. Now, yesterday was a day of frantic diplomatic activity, not just by the Russians, but by Putin, President Putin. Now, he spoke over the telephone in quick succession to Assad, al-Sisi, the Egyptian president, Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, and he also spoke later that evening to Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now, no other leader in the world is in a position to call on the telephone and speak on the phone to the leaders of Iran and Israel on the same day. So that that already begins to tell you the kind of pole position that the Russians have in the in 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 the situation in the Middle East. They're prepared to talk to both sides and both sides are prepared to listen to them. Now, what we understand is that the other conversations, the ones with the Arab leaders and with the Iranians, with Araizi, they there was generally a broad consensus. There has to be a ceasefire. Humanitarian relief supplies need to be allowed into Gaza. Um, hostages have to be released. And the Russian readout says that all the various players basically agreed that the fundamental reason that there is a crisis at the moment is because of what the Russians call the stagnation of the attempts to broker a peace, to agree a peace, a sustainable long-term peace in the Middle East. Now, that is an, that, these are easy, in other words, relatively easy discussions with the Russians. Putin is talking to people who essentially agree with him. And bear in mind, Egypt and uh, um, Iran are both shortly going to become members of the BRICS. So there's that added advantage as well. The meeting with Net, the, co- the call with Netanyahu, by definition, will have been a lot more difficult. And the Israelis say that uh, Netanyahu made it absolutely clear, as far as the Israelis are concerned, the destruction of Hamas, the complete taking a part of Hamas, is for Israel now a priority. And that is something which, again, Putin will have expected Netanyahu to say. But the thing that the Russians tell us is that Putin also briefed Netanyahu on the results of all his calls with the Arab leaders and with the Iranians. So you can see that what Putin is actually doing is he's telling Netanyahu, look, this is what all of these people think. The the Iranians think it, the Arab states think it, the Egyptians think it, we think this. We understand your position. But this is what we all want to do. We want to contain this crisis. Nobody wants an outright expanding war across the Middle East. And we have to look for a way forward. We understand that you have your views about the long-term resolution of this problem in the Middle East. But in the meantime, there is a a gathering consensus across the Middle East and before long in the world in general that uh, that there has to be a ceasefire and humanitarian relief efforts to Gaza, Uh, And, of course, the release of the hostages. And then there have to be negotiations. We are not asking you to negotiate with Hamas. We are not talking to Hamas. Putin made it very clear over the course of his call with Netanyahu that the Russians unequivocally condemn what Hamas has done. But they're, they're trying again, the Russians are trying again, to build up the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas's institution as the one that the israelis need to talk to in order to achieve a settlement so this is what the russians are doing so they're playing their game of chess if you like at the un and you know it's not just the russians behind them there's china other states so that's what they're doing at the un security council and at the same time they're starting the first steps ...towards getting some kind of... ...or trying to start the first steps... ...towards getting some sort of dialogue going... ...in order to find, for all sides... ...some means towards an off-ramp. That's the Russians. The Chinese are also busy. So Wang Yi had a really tough call... ...apparently with Blinken. Blinken called him from Riyadh... ...and um, apparently Wang Yi took the call... ...but he made it absolutely clear that again... As far as the Chinese are concerned, it's the American diplomatic failures in the Middle East which are behind the the crisis. The Chinese foreign ministry called together a conference of all the Arab states in Beijing, All the ambassadors of the Arab states attended the foreign ministry. This happened some days ago, but we've only now learnt about it. It's about three, three, four days ago it happened. And the Chinese obviously took soundings there. And, of course, very conveniently for the Chinese, lots of the big players are now going to be in Beijing because the Chinese um, called together this big belt and road conference... Putin is just, is now in Beijing. He's met already with Orban and with the president of Vietnam in Beijing. But the Saudis will also be there. Wang Yi has spoken with the foreign minister, or I think it's the deputy foreign minister of Saudi Arabia. I understand that MBS himself is thinking of going I'm not absolutely sure that that is the case, but I believe he is. And it's likely that Raisi will be there also. So you're going to have all of the people, all of these big people, Putin, Xi Jinping, lots of them now in Beijing, able to talk and speak together. And we could very, very easily see the diplomatic initiative pass, pass from there and agreements start to get reached over the course of the discussions that happened in Beijing over the next couple of days.
0: It seems to me that uh, given the treatment of Blinken with, uh, with Al-Sisi, with um, MBS, Biden kind of showing up in Israel, and no one really knows exactly what he's he's going to do there. Okay, he's there to show support, but outside of that, no one... No one actually is, is is understanding his role in all of this. I mean, you know, it's Biden. And God knows that he's, uh, he's not all together, you know, uh, up there. But um, it, you look at what the U.S. is doing and then you look at everything that Russia and China is doing. It just seems to me that uh, the entire international uh, community is rallying behind... Uh, China and Russia, including the the Arab states, um, including uh, Egypt and Saudi Arabia and UAE, even 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 Qatar, uh, who's, I mean they're behind Hamas pretty much. I don't think that's an exaggeration to, to say. That's not a secret to to, to say that. Uh, Iran, um, they they all see the momentum once again seems to be with with Russia and China and the one the one thing that they're trying to do is they're trying to get Netanyahu to move over to to their viewpoint while if i were to take a guess i would say that that blinken and biden and and austin and all these guys are are trying to keep netanyahu on on the the war footing path and the eu seems to be just you know, the the confused kid in the room. I mean, he seems like they're completely lost. I mean, is that a correct assessment to, to look at things? I mean, I know he's the president of the United States. Everyone's going to say, oh, well, he's the president of the United States. He has to go to Israel. I understand all that, but, you know, it's Biden. Biden's not going to really add anything to the conversation. I mean, and everyone knows he's not really the person that's that's calling the shots anyway. It's it's. It seems like this is our, our, our picture right now, and everything is hinging on whether... The international community can can somehow uh, get Netanyahu to to, to to move in in their direction.
1: Yeah, I think this is exactly correct. Now I would let us talk about the EU. The EU is completely irrelevant in this affair. I mean, it, it, it is it is utterly humiliated. We've had uh, Yosef Borrell go to China and say, you know, he doesn't understand why the Chinese don't take the EU seriously, given that it is a geopolitical colossus. (laughs) We discussed that in a recent video. I mean, the Chinese must have been laughing at themselves about this. And then we had Ursula von der Leyen coming to um, to, um, Israel, announcing, you know, complete support for Israel. But again, finding that nobody's listening or has... Show any interest in what the EU is saying, because so far as the world is concerned, outside the EU, the EU is just now, you know, America's monkey. I mean, you know, what do I always say? You know, if you could, if you can talk to the organ grinder, which is the United States, why waste time with his monkey? I mean, nobody takes the EU seriously. And the EU officials have Perhaps very upset and annoyed about this, but that's the reality. The Israelis don't listen to them. The Russians don't even want to talk to them. The Chinese just treat them with, you know, indifference and patience. And the rest of the world just goes about its business. So the EU is a complete irre- irrelevance. The United States remains a superpower. It's deployed all these huge forces. It is Israel's big supporter. It has to be taken seriously, even when it is led by Joseph Biden. So, obviously, people have to talk to the United States. So, we see that um, Biden will be travelling to Jordan. Again, that's apparently where the US wants to send many of these troops that are being sent to the Middle East. They want to send them to Jordan. But note that the other Arab leaders don't seem to be particularly keen on speaking to Biden himself, and if we're talking about the Egyptians and the Saudis, their response to Blinken has been straightforwardly rude. I mean, the the president of Egypt um, scolding publicly on video, on film, Blinken, is astonishing. And even more astonishing is the Saudis keeping Blinken waiting for hours during the night before they condescend to meet with him. I mean, this is unprecedented in the history in the history of the Middle East. And once upon a time, and I remember when Henry Kissinger you know, used to get on his shuttle planes, everybody wanted to speak to him—the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Saudis—everybody did. Now they're so fed up with the U.S and its failure to conduct sensible diplomacy, that they're not making any effort to conceal their complete disrespect for the U.S. And that's, I think, something Americans, people in the United States, ought to be aware of and understand where um, U.S. policy has, or rather U.S. failure to conduct a realistic and coherent policy in the Middle East, where it has brought uh, the, the position of the United States too. So, there we are. The Americans are absolutely nowhere. The Russians and the Chinese are doing old-fashioned classical diplomacy. They're talking to absolutely everyone. You see Putin talking to both uh, Raisi of Iran and Netanyahu of Israel on one and the same day. The Chinese meeting as many people as they can, bringing everybody together to Beijing. Holding meetings, having discussions, trying to f- look for a way forward. And about Netanyahu and about Israel, you are absolutely correct. What the Russians and the Chinese want to do is they want to st- they want to stop this war from getting out of control. They want a ceasefire. They want, obviously, humanitarian relief supplies to Gaza. They want the hostages. They absolutely want the hostages released, because whilst the hostages are held, that is a sing- that is in itself a factor that can lead to further violence and further war. So they want the hostages released, they want to freeze this particular situation where it is now. They want to provide Netanyahu with an off ramp They understand very well the enormous political pressures on him. They understand also the fragile position that he is in within Israel itself, the fact that he is under considerable criticism for allowing this to happen at all, the fact that there has been long-standing political crisis in Israel. The Chinese and the Russians know about that, but they also know that they have to work with Netanyahu. And in the case of Putin, he's had a long-standing, warm relationship with Netanyahu. So they want to find a possible off-ramp for him, which avoids humiliating him, and which he can take back to people in Israel you know, after you know, the initial anger has subsided a little. And so, look, we're making some kind of progress. We're doing things with the help of the international community, which will finally bring this impossible situation that we have in Gaza under control and which will spare the lives of Israeli soldiers. So, the, the, the Russians and the Chinese do want to do that. Importantly, they've been very careful not to blame him or Israel for this situation. The Americans and the Chinese have been blaming the Americans. They say it's American diplomacy, or lack of it, that has led right, the, to the, this the Russians and The Russians and the Chinese. And the you Russians said the and, and, the Ch- and the Chinese. No, the Russians and the Chinese. They've been very careful not to blame Israel. They've, they've been blaming the United States ...for what has happened. They're not saying the Israelis brought it on themselves. They're saying it's because the Americans have failed to move forward... ...with a peace process in the Middle East. That their, their diplomacy over the last decades has been a failure. This is what has put Israel in the position that it is in. So that's the message they want to convey. And they want to convey it to Israel... They've successfully conveyed it, by the way, to the Arab states, which is why al-Sisi and MBS are being so rude towards Blinken. They want to convey it to the Israelis so that eventually, and this is the long-term objective, apart from avoiding this crisis, spiralling out of control... What the Russians and the Chinese want to do is to wrest control of the Middle East process from the Americans. To bring it under, ultimately, their control. But the vehicle they will use is the UN, because they're talking a lot about the UN. They always talk about the UN. And they're talking again about a peace conference, which is a proposal that was last floated way back in the mid-1970s when there was supposed to be a peace conference to resolve this long-standing problem which was supposed to happen in Geneva. It had one meeting and then it broke up and it never came together again. So that is what the ultimate long-term objective of the Chinese and the Russians is. And they're trying to use this crisis to achieve it now it's far from certain that they will and one shouldn't underestimate the enormous challenges they face in israel israeli opinion is of course incredibly distressed and angry about what has happened and of course the challenges they face with the palestinians with the with the palestinians also i mean hamas might not welcome this kind of a process in which it could easily be sidelined and might, in fact, be displaced entirely with the Palestinian Authority led by Mahmoud Abbas taking the, having the leading place. So Abbas might might not be happy and they might want to do things in order to block it. So, I mean, you know, there, there are lots of problems. It might not work. But that, I think, is what the Chinese and the Russians want to do.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if if anyone's going to get this done, it's going to be the, the Russians and the Chinese because they have excellent relations with, with all the parties uh, involved. And, um, you know, getting the hostages released, uh, if this is possible, that, that would relieve a lot of pressure from uh, from Netanyahu and his position yes. uh, in Israel because he is coming under a lot of criticism and he also has a lot of domestic issues and legal cases which are uh, directed at him, so... I think the Russians and the Chinese understand all of this, and I imagine they're working very hard with uh, with the Arab states, with Iran, with uh, Qatar, with Saudi Arabia, to try and find a way to to uh, get those hostages released and to, and, and to yes. convince Hamas to to release those hostages. That that would be a big deal towards uh, some sort of off ramp or de escalation. But you know, at, at the end of the day, it's it's all about um, people. Yes. And the U.S. Uh, people in policy and the U.S., they've done this to themselves. They've sanctioned everybody. They've pissed off the entire world. Um, the, their their team of diplomats, if you can even call them that, the the, the one person is, is worse than the other. These are not qualified professionals. And, and no one likes these people. And, you know, Americans, you, you can say this and I bet you there's going to probably be a lot of Americans who are listening to this. Maybe they'll be listening to this and they'll be like, no, everyone loves Blinken and Biden. Sorry, they do not. The world actually likes Putin. They actually like Xi Jinping. They actually like to deal with these people. Uh, there was a point in time when the world outside of the collective West liked to talk to Trump. This is just a fact. This is reality. Absolutely. They enjoyed negotiating with Trump. Whether you like Trump or hate Trump, that's not, that's not the issue. World leaders, they enjoyed negotiating dealing with him uh, Biden they don't like Biden they no. don't like Blinken. they don't like Sullivan they don't like any of these people no they don't well, like they- Ursula they don't like Baerbach no they don't like Burrell no and, and this and and this is the to me this is one of the key factors Netanyahu doesn't like Biden Correct. Netanyahu doesn't like Putin Netanyahu does like Xi Jinping the, 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 this is this is key in in uh, in order to understand who actually can mediate and broker a ceasefire and even a potential uh, peace plan or, or the beginnings of a peace plan. At yes. least after all, it was the Chinese who brought uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia um, to the table. Yes. It wasn't the Biden administration. It wasn't the Biden White House. They, yes. They're just not capable of doing it. And, whenever, and just one final thought, and we'll wrap up the video uh, with your thoughts. When I see... Baerbock and Ursula and Biden and Blinken um, traveling to, to the Middle East. I, I understand one thing. It's, this is, they're not going to be able to uh, diplomatically negotiate some sort of peace ramp or mediate some sort of peace. These people are going to come to the Middle East and they're just going to mess things up even more.
1: Absolutely, because, of course, they do all the wrong things. They virtue signal. And no one has any patience for virtue signaling. None of the countries that we're talking about like to be treated or addressed to in that kind of way. So that's that's one thing that's wrong. And then they lecture. They tell people, look, this is what you should do. They're not prepared to listen and understand the problems and concerns that. Each one of these countries and each one of these leaders have, as I said previously, Russians and the Chinese have been very careful not to blame Israel for this problem, not in any way. I mean, you read their read their statements carefully; they've been extremely careful to say nothing critical of Israel. Putin has talked about settlement activity, but the blame he's the people he's blamed for that. Are the Americans because of the way in which they've conduct they've mishandled the diplomacy. And so they've been very careful to do that. And as I, as I also said, they do not want to humiliate Netanyahu. They want to put Netanyahu in a position where instead of saying no, he's going to be able to feel able to say yes, and we'll see that it is in his personal interests. And in Israel's interests, a lot of people have all kinds of feelings about Netanyahu and understand why. But I do believe that at some fundamental level, he cares about the interests of Israel. If I have no doubt about that. And I just wanted to say that. I mean, you know, he may be all the things that people say, but I don't think he's anything else other than an Israeli nationalist and patriot and whatever. So, uh, so you know, I, 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 I think again. The Russians and the Chinese understand that. So they will have to persuade him, look, coming along, doing what we are proposing is in your personal interests. It will help you out of your political problems, out of this fix that you are in at the moment when you've been pressed to launch a ground offensive into Gaza and um, your military is probably telling you it's not a good idea. We're not really up to doing this thing, so we're getting you out of you out of this fix. We're helping you personally. What we're also trying to do is, in the benefit of, for the benefit of your people and your country, what you want, what you say you want, is a secure and lasting peace, so that people in Israel feel safe, completely safe. So we don't have these horrors that we've just seen happen this week. And that is what we want to try and help you to achieve. That
0: is what they're going to be saying to him. And just a final note, you know, the, um, the, the differences that Putin can speak to Netanyahu and, uh, and, and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Egypt on the same day. I mean, that, that, that's a key difference. Biden can't do that. Just the other day, just the other day, he said, we need to put down Putin. It's all of these things that, that, that make it impossible for the U.S. to conduct diplomacy. Absolutely. Because they've, they've labeled and branded everyone a dictator, a thug, an authoritarian Xi Jinping is this. Putin is that. MBS is this. Uh, it, it's impossible to to have dialogue with with the Biden White House. Impossible. Correct. Correct. And, and so I, they're in zero position. They've removed themselves yeah. from uh, from diplomacy because they're, they're they're so emotional and and they label everyone something horrible and awful. Yes, and well, the rest of the world does not see it like that. No, Jesus exactly. Putin is not a dictator to the rest of the world. Putin is not a thug or a dictator. They never say we're going to put him down or put them down, and so they have the ability to uh, to talk to each other.
1: Well, the, absolutely.
0: The, the Biden White House—they did this to themselves. They 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 isolated themselves.
1: Uh, let, let's just yeah, absolutely let's just explore that because it's a very very important point. So uh, all this talk. Over the last few year and a half, how marginalised Putin is, how, you know, he's... uh you know, a, a, a rogue leader that nobody wants to talk to around the world, that he can't Pariah. In, a pariah, all of those things. Well, this is the pariah who's able, in one day, to speak to four Arab leaders, the three Arab leaders, the president of Iran and the prime minister of Israel, at a moment of huge crisis, and is now travelling to China, where he's met, again, almost one after the other, the president of, of Vietnam and the Prime Minister of Hungary, and he's going to meet the Chinese President, and probably before long, he's going to be meeting representatives of the Saudi Arabia as well, maybe even MBS, if he is there. He is no kind of pariah, and he's obviously, exactly as you said, far more pivotal in the world of international diplomacy than the President of the United States is, and he's... Secretary of State is. The Secretary of State gets lectured by the Egyptian president and stood up for a whole night by the Saudis. Who is the pariah in this situation? But coming back to the US, the US can't conduct diplomacy in this way because they've cut off their own options. Biden can't call and talk to Putin. And Biden can't call and talk to Raisi. (laughs) He can't do that. He's not able to do these things. Now, that's because of things that the United States has done. Now, way back, you know, 200 years ago, um, Bismarck, in my opinion, the greatest diplomat that modern European history has produced he once said when I conduct diplomacy I conducted like chess I play with every 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 square all 64 squares on the chessboard I don't restrict myself. I don't say, I'm not going to move my pieces onto this square. Or I'm not going to move it into, onto that square. I deal with all of them. <laughs> that is what diplomacy is about. And, of course, America doesn't do that. America limits itself. It restricts itself by doing exactly what you, what you said. They demonise. And label people, they don't take them seriously. You read the things that they say about Russia, they read some of the things they say about Iran, um, people in the United States themselves, many, many people are worked up to think like this, and it works against the United States. So they can't talk to the Iranians. They can't talk to the Russians. Yes, The Russians and the Iranians are adversaries. That makes it even more important that you talk to them and that you talk to them, not through, you know, sort of underground undercover methods, you know. uh, uh, You know, uh, an American spy meets an Iranian spy in Dubai and, you know, they exchange conversations and it goes up to (laughs) the state of That's not how diplomacy is conducted Diplomacy has to be conducted at a proper level between presidents and foreign ministers and senior diplomats if it is to be successful and if, if it is to achieve results.
0: Okay, we'll, uh, we'll end it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X, and go to the Duran shop. 20% off, use the code of the Duran. 20. Take care.